0: Welcome to another edition of Father Time. I am Jamie Kaler, uh, and this is the podcast for all parents to learn about how to take care of your kids, I guess is the best excuse. My guest today is an old friend of mine. He is the president of basketball operations for the Portland Trailblazers. But when I first knew him, he was a commercial actor in Hollywood 20 years ago and uh, desperately trying to book a Honda spot, I think, the first time I met you. Uh, My guest today, Mr. Neil Oldshay, is joining me. Yes, and those were all MOS
1: because I couldn't get a line out properly. You, so, you couldn't get a- <laughs> but I looked like a young dad back then you before had a becoming sp- an old dad.
0: When I first met you, you had a couple spots. You had a uh- Honda, and you had oh yeah a Visa, JC yeah, yeah,
1: Burger King. I had them all. I was playing, playing. I was playing young young dads. Now I'm an old
0: dad. So you were I- going to commercial auditions during the day. You coached high school basketball in the afternoon, and then you went and played poker at night. <laughs> Yes, one of the three was successful. <laughs> one of the three was turns out to be successful. Long story short. With Shit, L- if,
1: I, if I was in the NBA, I mean, or in Major League Baseball right now, I watched my first baseball game in about three years. Does anyone hit over 250 anymore? Is that like the new Mason-Dixon line? Dude, like Anyone making, hitting
0: 300 would be in the Hall of Fame. They're making $20 million a year batting 221. Yeah, It's crazy. I went to the Dodger game the other day. My buddy called on Monday. He was like, hey, you want to go to the playoff game? I go, yeah, sure. One o'clock, I figure I'll be home by five. Game was four and a half hours long. <laughs> I was like, I go, man, I haven't watched. Which baseball. is amazing when nobody gets a hit. It's crazy.
1: Except it's middle reliever to setup guy to closer to lefty closer against righties to righty closer against left. It's un- It's interminable.
0: It's interminable. But here's what's weird. Now that I have kids, that four and a half hours feels like <laughs> the longest time of like, oh my god, how does anyone watch this? But we used to sit and watch entire games.
1: Well, I think it's cheaper to go to a baseball game and hide from your wife and kids than it is to go play golf. Yeah,
0: honestly, it was no, I'd rather sit with my kids than sit through another. I, that, I Honestly, that might be my last baseball game of all time I can go to. I can't. Four and a half well, hours. Well, the socks are out, so you're good for another 12 months. They are out. Um... Let's talk really quick about your meteoric rise, because it is pretty amazing. My 16-year <laughs> like, like meteoric rise. Meteoric. I mean, meteors meteors go over hundreds of years. They've, they're up there still. Just They take a long time, I guess. Isn't that a meteoric rise? It's very quick as a meteoric rise. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a slow burning. It's Hallie's comment. Uh, you, um, yeah, you were an actor. You were, you were coaching as kind of a part-time job, and all of a sudden, you were the general manager of the— uh, Los Angeles Clippers. And now you're the president of basketball operations, which is above the general manager for the Portland Trailblazers. How does that happen?
1: A lot of luck, a lot of luck and a lot of the right people in your corner. And, you know, a very small modicum of talent. Um, you know, I look, I, you know, look, th- that was my love. You know, I, you know, even in New York, I was helping out, you know, coaching when I moved to L.A., there was never a day that I wasn't coaching. It just certainly wasn't at this level. Um, And it was road trips staying at Super 8 motels with AAU teams, not NBA teams at Ritz-Carlton's. But, you know, look, there are a lot of people that were in my corner and believed in me. And, you know, but I did it because I loved it. I mean, that's we talk about this with actors, right? At some point when you're doing it for the paycheck, it's time to move on because... The paychecks are few and far between to begin hey, with.
0: wait. I don't have any other skills, Neil. <laughs> this is, well, this, is well, this is why I moved on. I'll yeah. move to Portland. Come on. What do you up. got? Hey. I can be the guy who shoots the t-shirt cannon <laughs> at halftime. I can do that job.
1: You were Navy, Jamie, not Jamie Army. Taylor, so cannon boy.
0: <laughs> I, honestly, cannon boy. If it paid. Oh, my God. I mean, the cost of living in benefits LA, and so. uh, yes. you know per diem, you'd be good. I can do some other stuff around the stadium and stuff. So, yeah. um, so yes, you are you were a, you were a committed to your basketball, but you would I would go like, hey, what's your day like? You go, oh, I'm going to shoot free throws with uh, Jason Capono at UCLA for a couple hours. Like you drove over every day, every day, every, every day. day.
1: And you know, look, Jason and I met. You know, he was in eighth grade, and you know, we worked out, and you know, look, obviously, he went on to have a phenomenal career. But we were working, at, we worked out together probably every day from the time he was a freshman in high school. Through high I school, remember. all through UCLA, through his first three years in the NBA, before I moved into the front office and I wasn't allowed to work with players from other teams anymore. But you know, there were a lot of players that grew up, you know, that became good players. And then again, looking working for Arn Tellem at SFX exposed me and gave me an opportunity to work with high level draft prospects, current NBA players. I mean, there were you were in that gym. I mean, there were you, there you, was many NBA All Stars sitting in the stands as there were on the court. Me.
0: You said you called me. We were at the Santa Monica gym. This little high school gym And you called me and said Hey I'm working out Bird's here Kobe's here There was a whole litany Of NBA stars And we I live two blocks We live two blocks yeah. away You were in the same building as me
1: Well you as the Celtic guy I figured that was a chance For you to see basically The entire roster of the it Celtics Because cra- they were in all Running NBA teams
0: In I walk in And you introduced me To Kobe Bryant And you said uh, I, I never forget it Because I go uh, I go It's nice to meet you And Kobe Bryant said I know <laughs> And he was right. He, he was, was accurate. That's right. What a dick. He was like, I know. But honestly, Larry, legend to me, from being from Boston, is the guy. Yeah, well, you like, know. Like, I couldn't take my eyes off him. I was like, that's Larry
1: Bird. Well, that's why you, you talk about the, the one, the only thing I would say that moved, you know, that transitioned from acting into doing what I was doing, you know, wasn't so much as far as, you know, the ability to speak and communicate and things like that. It was more the fact that when you're out there working with players and in the bleachers are Danny Ainge. Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Michael Jordan, Joe Dumars, yeah. watching you do this. You know, if you have a little performance anxiety, you know, it's not going to go so well. So, no, you know, because
0: I, those guys are, I mean, they know the game and they're legends. Yeah. And you're this guy. They're who, Hall of Famers and here's they, I mean, some guy that. You played college lacrosse.
1: Yes. Which is definitely a gateway to going into <laughs> the NBA, by is, the way. Of course. You didn't
0: know that. So, I mean, were you, ever, were you ever nervous when you were sitting there in front of those guys running workouts, or were you, it just seemed natural to you?
1: No, look, I, th- I think it's, you know, again, like, it's the Joe Pesci, right? The singing waiter up on Arthur Avenue, and 16 years later, he gets Raging Bull, and he's an overnight sensation. I that's mean, That's what he did, right?
0: Yeah. i forgotten that story. Yeah. He was the singing waiter, Joe Pesci was.
1: Yeah, that's what I said. I, it took 16 years to be an overnight sensation. So, you know, there were so many workouts before that where, you know, you're in front of high school coaches or college guys and then draft guys. And, you know, that, you know look, I think the biggest thing in the NBA— you know, is it's a want-to league, not a have-to league, and you have to make it about the players. So, you know, for one minute I was out there doing that, making it about me, I would have been nervous. But it wasn't. It was there to, to watch all those young draft guys that they were there to evaluate. You know, Joe Johnson and Sean Marion and, you know, Carlos Boozer and Capono and all those guys. That's why they were in the gym. They weren't there for me, certainly, because it took another five years for anybody to hire me. And if it wasn't for Mike Dunleavy, I'd still be in that gym running around. To- and
0: you worked out his son. That was one of the big connections to Dunleavy, right? You, it was. You prepared him for the, for the draft and he jumped many spots from where he was supposed to go after they saw his workouts, after you, you would put together this crazy workout for guys who were getting ready for the draft. Was that the sport? We did. You know,
1: Arne, Arne and Sonny Vaccaro and a bunch of people basically decided before anybody did this, we were going to have our own combine. And that year we had eight first-round picks, yeah. five guys in the second round. And, you know, the year before I'd worked with Michael a little bit, you know, not, not as much because he had his dad. You know, his dad was working with him. But where Mike and I really bonded was Mike got the Clipper job in June. And every day he came by St. Monica's. And after the draft ended, all those pros that you were talking about, you know, Kobe and Joe Johnson and Tracy McGrady and Mike Miller and they were Corey Maggette were working out with me every morning for three hours, myself and coach Gergerich. And Mike watched me do this. They wanted a player development guy on their staff with the Clippers because they had a lot of young players. And, you know, we bonded. Look, he's an Irish Catholic guy from Brooklyn. I'm an Irish Catholic guy from Queens. We had the same sensibilities. He knew I loved the game. I came cheap. If you remember. <laughs> yes. Are you Yes. I, I was making more money, you know, working out kids in, you know, Beverly Hills on their yeah. tennis courts than I was with the Clippers like, initially. Like celebrity kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, but again, I, hey, it was a chance to get into the NBA and, you know, look. You know, Coach Gurgovich again was like, kid, I don't care. Go work for Per Diem. Just get in. It's time to get in. And you know, I was 36. It was time to actually get a real job.
0: Don't rub it in, man. Don't (laughs) be so mean to me. Here's how I know here's how I tracked your progression up the ladder. Like when you first got that first job with the Clippers, you got me seats. You were the best. I always got seats. He was like, Hey, come get grab the clipper seats. And we had seats and they were up. They weren't bad seats, but they were up a little bit. And then you got a promotion, and my seats got a little better. And then you got a promotion, and my seats got a little better. Well, that's
1: why I got the promotions, was to get you (laughs) better seats. And so
0: then you became the general manager of the Clippers, and I sat courtside (laughs) at a Celtics game. And I was like, man, Neil really made it. If you got another promotion, (laughs) you'd be playing. What would you say? If you got another promotion,
2: you'd be playing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. I know. Gosh, I was so close to getting on the team. Uh, And so here's what I love, though, is that you ended up becoming kind of the draft guru. Like you, you picked guys that other people didn't see, and then you put teams together. You did it with the Clippers. You brought uh, Griffin and CP3 and all these guys down. DeAndre Jordan, who I don't know if he was a big prospect at the time. He all of a sudden is like a monster star now. And you, all of a sudden, the Clippers, who were perennial losers, became this winning team and all of a sudden kind of took over L.A. You did great there. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Trailblazers, and here you are. As the president of basketball operations at the Trailblazers, this is the craziest thing ever. And you put together an amazing team up there with Stoudemire and the and the gang, huh? Stoudemire, Not Stoudemire. Uh, what's his kid's name? Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Damian Lillard. Lillard. Well, I and mean, Stoudemire. Lillard. That's close. God you know, they're both they're both guards. Da- Damian and Damon. Oh, that was close, though. Was yeah, close. same
1: agency at least. God. So you were. That
0: again yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And then um, see, that's the beauty of him. They'll jump it. Um. And then you jump to the Trailblazers with uh, Damian Lillard, and you put together a winning team up there. Well, again, you know, you're lucky. You know, you,
1: you get an opportunity of the number one pick, um, you know, when there's a number one player in Blake Griffin. So you surround him with talent, and you build around him. And I think we were very lucky. You know, we, ha- we inherited three nice players, uh, including LaMarcus Aldridge, who was an all-star, but... Getting Damian Lillard in that draft just accelerated what was going to probably be a two or three year rebuild because he was a superstar out of the gate. And, you know, since then, what we've done is we've basically moved the entire roster away and everybody we've brought in is a compliment to him, both culturally and skill wise. And that's why we're successful, because he's an incredible leader. He's an incredible kid. But he knows exactly the kind of people he wants around him to be successful. And it starts, you know, with me, Terry Stotts, the head coach, our assistant coaches. And you know, one of the things we're really proud of up there is the culture that we have. And, you know, we, we maybe aren't an a market in terms of destination for free agents. So we can't buy our way out of trouble. So we do have to draft well. We've got to make opportunistic trades and we've got to develop our players, which you know is more my background. So I, I make sure, you know, with Terry and his staff. They're so good at player development that I trust them that we can bring in guys that maybe a little more raw, a little more undervalued around the league, and that they're going to help them blossom.
0: That's amazing. How do you then uh, put together a team to combat the Golden State Warriors? <laughs> I mean, when well, they already ta- win ta- and ta- then ta- they ta- bring me we, in we, this
1: is a June conversation <laughs> if it's at all relevant. But I mean, uh, is, is
0: anybody? Can anybody put together a team to to fight them? Well, again, you know, I don't know if you can. I don't know. Look,
1: they obviously, look, Bob Myers did an incredible job, okay? They drafted Steph, they drafted Draymond, they drafted Clay, right? So they were built through the draft for the most part, too. And then they became such an attractive market. You know, Joel Lacob did an incredible job building the infrastructure of the organization that it became a destination for one of the top three players on the planet.
0: On the planet. That's
1: that's rare. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like saying, hey, I'm trying to get this movie greenlit. Um, Hey, by the way, George Clooney's attached. (laughs) <laughs> it's a little different than, hey, I wrote a script. It's really, really right, good. Right. Trust me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, look, they built it and he came. And um, look, look. obviously, you know, they're projected to be the NBA champs again. But, you know, the, look, when you're in the finals two years in a row, you win once without one of the best players on the planet. Suddenly, your prospects are pretty bright. Yeah. yeah so pretty, we'll, we'll pretty see. Good. You know, look, the good news for our organization is we've got one of the youngest teams in the league. We were the youngest team in the playoffs last year with an average age of 24. We got even younger this summer, so we've got a longer runway. Right. Um, you know that. You know it's not like we're on the clock. We've got a bunch of guys in there at the end of their prime, and if we don't win now, we're going to have to reset it. We're not. We can keep developing this group, waiting, and then be opportunistic if something were to happen. All right, That's enough of blazer talk. But, podcast. Let's, let's called, figure out how we're going to. Well, the, the podcast we is start talking about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, once they figure out, we have no idea how to be parents, and we're relying on our wives.
0: Well, that's what the trick is. All right. So let's go back. We were buddies. We lived in the same apartment building. We had no money. We were doing, you know, you were doing the basketball stuff, but we were trying to be actors, and we, ha- we would eat prime rib steaks and uh, go out drinking, and you even got up on stage and did stand-up comedy at one time. And now... One time. One. It's all... You, you're like, I did it. How many more? <laughs> we're good. How many more times? It's like, do you my, you? It's like my son. When I go, hey, want to go play catch? I already did it. We played catch. <laughs> I <laughs> went skydiving once. once. What are you talking about? <laughs> how many times do you have to do it? You were fantastic that night, too. Uh, and now we are both parents of two kids yeah i mean it's crazy to me and the beauty is i talked to you like you were one of the few guys who who gave me a real heads up when i was gonna have kids you were like i don't know man i don't know if you're capable of this (laughs) i really don't know if it's what you expect and i was like wow everyone else was like yeah do it And you were the one guy who was like yeah i'm a real friend it's over you i always considered you a real friend because you were honest and it was overwhelming and you you jumped into the void a good decade. before. I mean, you hung on till 40, I hung on till 50 to have kids. So, let's talk about um where like your dad. Here's here's the premise of the podcast is that we, my father never told us any my father never showed me how to shave. He never my father <laughs> just never learned it on the street. I was like I thought about it later when I was older and I was like, "Man, that guy never I think he was like, here's some shaving cream and there's a razor, but never was like, here, put it on nothing." Like we didn't we only had love through firm handshakes. Yes. That was And, and it. no
1: YouTube videos. And there
0: were no YouTube videos back in the day. You just, you know, you, you lived and learned.
1: Yeah, it was more fun for them knowing we were cutting our neck up and then had to put a dress shirt on to go to school. Yeah.
0: So talk about your dad. I know your dad was a cop in uh, New York. He was.
1: No, he was, I mean, he was a ama- mate because he,
0: not unlike us,
1: I mean, you know, in his generation, he waited until 36, you know, to get married. But he was a New York City police and in that, officer. in that
0: era... That was like 58.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I always say he was four years. That's why he's looked at me. You know, when I wasn't a Rhodes Scholar, an All-American athlete, and an instant millionaire, he was like, well, I don't know why I wasted my time because I was four years away from retiring and moving to Lima, Peru and laying in a hammock the rest of my life at 40 with my three-quarter pension from the police department. And then, you know, one fateful night in the Hamptons, he met my mother, and off they went. And she was Irish Catholic and had other ideas, and off they went to get married. And thankfully, for my, my grandfather on my mother's side, who just assumed when she said, well, this is Al Olshay, he assumed it was O'Shea and what county was he from, not realizing the county was from Warsaw, Poland, and he was a Polish cop, and thank God they were halfway down the aisle before he figured it out, or there would have been a jihad in the Olshay house. You
0: know, it's funny, because you always, I mean, I think you would say you're Irish, more than anything, right? What's your mother's maiden name? Well, yeah, because my mother made sure that was the end of that.
1: Like, basically, he became an O'Shea. He's the only Polish guy ever that at his funeral, he had the Irish flag, you know, waving in the background. Is that right? <laughs> As but a member of the Irish Olshey, American Society.
0: O-L-S-H-E-Y. Right. And did she just She just kind of ran over the L when she s- told people? We're, yeah. We're the O'Sheas." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Got pronounced rather quickly. Well, you know, my father did it because my last name, Kaler, is actually German. It's from Kohler, and it was the coal man. In Germany I didn't know this People told me this years later Like people would Facebook me And go You know you know, your last name Is the coal man Or something I was like whatever But my father had fought In World War II So he was like We're not German But <laughs> well, we are German We're part <laughs> German And uh, he was like Ancestry.com not- <laughs> That's basically Yeah We are uh, We are Germanic people But so he was always like No we're Irish And we had Irish flags Back in the day That was the thing It was like You couldn't be Polish You couldn't be Something else They lied They basically just lied yeah. And said Life was easier <laughs> But it's weird, right? Like we don't, my father never shared stories of his youth. I never met the guy who was 21 years old and out boozing every night. Like I didn't tell, he should have sat me down and gone, listen. We're not great with alcohol. <laughs> Genetically, we are not designed. This is going to end poorly. He did not tell me any of that. He
1: just was like, go have fun. You, you would have thought when he was at your little game with little league game with like a, you know, a, you know, a cigarette and a Schaefer that you might figure it out at 11
0: in the morning. But, you know, I thought he was the morning. cool guy behind the bleachers with a <laughs> cigarette and the Schaefer. What do I know? Do you are you obviously you're way more honest with your kids than your father was.
1: What yeah. was it like growing up with him? Well, you, you can't hide from kids anymore. They're too smart. I mean, look, here's the other thing. My kids are in the house all the time. I stayed as far away from my house as humanly possible because the only thing that waited at that house for me was yelling about homework, mowing lawns, raking leaves, shoveling snow, and cleaning out garages. I don't understand how many times you clean out a garage. But It is kind of true. It became like a weekly activity. We
0: gotta clean out the garage <laughs> again. How did it get so dirty in the first <laughs> place?
1: There's nothing on television on the one television we have anyway, and you're not allowed in our room where the other TV is. So, what were you gonna do? So, was your father gruff or was he was he a calm guy? You know, you know, it's funny. My father was one of those guys. Because you're not that, a calm person. No, but my father was one of those guys that if I forgot to take out the garbage, he would lose his mind. When I totaled the car, his answer was, "Are you okay?". All right, it's fine. We'll get it fixed. So, like, he was the best oh, my person was in the crisis.
0: My father was like, oh, what have you done? <laughs> oh, good God, you destroyed the car. Your yeah. father seems way cooler than my dad. He, you
1: know, especially tougher. for a cop. Well, I, I guess relative to the people that he was arresting, I looked actually fairly, fairly decent as a kid. But, you know, his thing – the hardest thing for my father, I think, was that I – I was not interested in academics and somehow, you know, went from very good parochial school to an elite high school in Manhattan at Xavier, you know, one of the best Jesuit high schools in the country and went on to a pretty good college.
0: That, and, they paid for you to go to private school?
1: Yeah. What? My father worked two jobs. Now, I didn't know that. Like, when he left the house at night, I assumed he was going out to have a couple of beers and play some poker. He wasn't. He was cleaning classrooms in the New York City public school district to make enough money so that I could go to Xavier High School. How and, did he live? Did he sleep? I Dude, I have no idea how he did it. He, I mean, the guy, the guy never – in 22 years on the force, never missed a day of work. He had like six months left when he retired, and then he went to work for Arthur Anderson. He did 15 years there and retired, never missed a day of work. So did, meanwhile, I, you, know, you and I were living in Santa Monica. There were three or four days that would go by. I wouldn't leave the couch.
0: No. I would go out most nights because I was trying to do stand-up or something, and I would knock on your door and go, hey, you coming? And you'd be watching movies with a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And you'd be like, nope, not going to make it. <laughs> like we couldn't get you – when you finally met Leslie and got married – the rest of us were kind of like, Thank God, dude. You were kind of a shut in. <laughs> you just didn't want to it wasn't like you weren't you weren't a weird guy who sat inside online or something. You were just like, Nah, I'm good. You didn't care about going what was out. out here? there for me? That's more how, alcohol. You, you know, used I mean? to say that all the time. What's out there for me? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. 'Cause you And you also, I mean, you were working every day. Like we weren't, I'd, I'd have auditions, but I would go, I don't have anything to so I'm going to go booze it up. But you were like, you'd always have, every day you had to go work out somebody or do something.
1: Yeah, and you know, the older you get, the harder it got to go chase kids around a basketball court with a hangover. So, you know, yeah. unless it was the prospect of beautiful women, which very rarely happened or occurred at O'Brien's during the 7.30, you know, stand-up show. You know, the motivation really wasn't there. So I would rely on Baja Cantina at 3 in the afternoon where I could be back in bed at 10 o'clock. Yeah,
0: which is it's so funny because you were almost ready for fatherhood long before any of us. It, the trick to drinking now with kids is you got to drink early. Yeah. and get sleep so you like the second the kid goes down you better start drinking and then like an hour and a half and you're like i gotta go that's it i'm, I'm back in bed because the kids are up at 6 30 in the morning the next day smashing things
2: this is your life now you plan how to drink every day <laughs> yes according your Windows. kid's schedule yes andy
0: <clears throat> there's so much waiting for me out there there is so much yeah. waiting for you to have kids we was your dad did your dad booze yeah yeah you know we were the uh I mean, there's a cop you know, was, in new york when
1: he was working I mean, he was a cop but you know I always remember, the one thing I did remember was every Thursday night, my mother's mother came to the house for dinner, and my father went to Astoria, to his old neighborhood, to Scanlon's Bar, and they sat at Scanlon's Bar, and whatever they did, they, you know, played cards in the back room and watched football or basketball, whatever they did, they got out of the house on, because they knew. What did they do? No matter what, you could suck it up, right? Like, you could get through Friday and get home and leave <laughs> and leave work a little bit early. So Thursday night – but, you know, my father grew up in a generation – really he belonged to a place called the Gramercy Grand back when they had social clubs. And the social club put on dances and played softball, and that was their clubhouse, that right? They went fun. down there and played football you know, every weekend. Yeah. You know, they, they watched football and drank, and they had pool tables. and Did he bring you with him? Yeah, I, I'd go down a few times where I learned to play poker. So, you know – Shooting pool and playing poker, and
0: as what a ten-year-old kid?
1: Yeah, so I mean, now my kids come, you know, to my practice facility on the weekends and shoot baskets and hang out, and you know, go get, get in the hot tub. Mine was watch a bunch of guys smoke smoke Kent cigarettes, play poker, and shoot pool.
0: Yeah, but see, you could go on to play poker. Your kids are listen. I love them. <laughs> I'm sure they're wonderful athletes. Yes, they're not playing in the NBA. They're gonna,
1: they're they're really smart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They'll be the maybe the GM, maybe the yeah, coach, maybe the maybe the CFO. I mean, genetically now it's. I mean, in years will guys be under six? I mean, the, the point guards is like seven. Crazy. It's we, the size we, you is know we, crazy. Funny, we were joking
1: about it today. You know we have Pat Connaughton on our team, right? Yeah. So Pat drafted in the second round of the Major League Baseball draft. We drafted in the second round. He's on our team. He had like full ride offers to like high D one FBS colleges to play quarterback in football. So last night, he crushed his shoulder. He's going to be out for a few weeks. Oh, no. So I said, wow, like, when did it happen? And they go, oh, with like three minutes left. I'm like, but he made two free throws and took the ball to the rack and had a steal. They're like, yeah, tough kid. And I, I was talking to Terry. I said, yeah, can you imagine like playing it like Little League against him? Ah, here comes that Connaughton kid. Not only is he a tough kid from like Boston, right. but it's like, here's an Irish Catholic kid from Boston that like plays three sports. It's like, how many, how many other parents in that neighborhood just hated
0: him? Uh, poor little Johnny has no chance because Pat's going to run over him. Yeah. There's kids now in, in high school. It's so funny. When we were kids, like there was one or two kids that goes, oh, yeah, that kid's father's getting in private coaching. Now kids are just groomed from birth. There's a kid, my buddy's son plays at Notre Dame baseball. He goes, yeah, there's a kid on the team that throws 98. He's going third in the draft this year. He's a senior in high school. He's just, they're monsters. Yeah. I don't remember that when I was no, a kid. No, 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 I no. mean, maybe it was just New Hampshire, and there was nobody of any. Well, I was, talent, in, New- right? I was in
1: New York City. I mean, now there were guys. You know, I, you know, my my class of my high school class, Mark Jackson, Kenny Smith. Yeah. We had a lot of NBA players, but it's Manhattan. I mean, you expect that. Um, Sean Dunstan was my year. You know, we played baseball against right. each other, and he went on had an incredible Major League Baseball career. But it's New York. But the amazing thing now is how sports specific people want to get and and it's these coaches preying on parents' fears. Well if you don't play soccer 11 and a half months of the year you'll never get to play on the junior high team. Yeah. And by the way, you know, my son Connor just went through it, right? You know, he went to a tryout for an AAU team. And shockingly he didn't make it. But suddenly he was invited to be a part of their academy for three workouts a week for $150 it's a week for money, private man. training. And you know they have some refabricated warehouse with the court, ironically the Clipper Court right. that they bought. But but that's what it, it's just money now, and and parents, you're so afraid of having your kids be behind the curve. And you know what it is, James. At the end of the day, so I don't get I don't get all jacked up over academic. If you're smart, you're smart, dude. It'll figure it out. The little worker bee kids that I went to school with, that were like going home and doing all their homework and got all straight A's through grammar school. By the time you get to high school, start separating. You get to college, it separates a little bit more. And It's the same thing with sports. Look. The best athletes are gonna be the best athletes. I don't yeah. care how much coaching you get them. That's it. And that was the thing. You know, all, all those people that I worked with in Bel Air and Beverly Hills, well, you work with Jason Capono. Yes, he's a savant. Like he's one of the greatest shooters on the planet. Of all time. And he's six eight. Yeah. So, like, before <laughs> you think I have like a magic pill that's going to turn your son into Jason Capono, how about we just hope he makes like his eighth grade team?
0: I would watch him shoot. I mean, he'd hit like a hundred in a row. He was a crazy freak shooter. Yeah. Well and he was six foot eight.
1: Well, this is like you know saying, "Oh, hey, um, you're a great violin teacher." Well, yes, because I'm teaching Itzhak Perlman. Like, it's
0: you know, it is, it is with the media generation too. I think like back in our day, like kids would go under the radar; they were just local kids from some poor town, and no one would ever see them. But now with YouTube, somebody shoots the video of some high school athlete losing is just doing an incredible feat of, and all of a sudden it blows up, and then. Everybody sees it. It's hard to stay under the radar anymore if you're that talented.
1: Well, and the hardest part is you're not allowed to fail at an early age. And that's the thing that's frustrating you know, for me at my level with with youth sports is that they're killing kid's spirit in like third or fourth grade. Right. Because you already have uniforms and scoreboards and you've got to try out and you've got to make. So kids like our age, I mean, we never had to make a team until fifth
0: or sixth grade. That's true. My daughter's three. They have a soccer uh, class for her that she... and I'm like, she's three. She doesn't. She doesn't have a concept of like, hit the ball that way. She really, it's but They not... look cute in their uniform. Yeah, they, they run look around, around and... and somebody makes fifty bucks per kid every hour. You know what it is? It's crazy. It's all just it's about babysitting. Money. It's babysitting, basically, at this point. Yeah. Um, was your dad? Um, was he a big athlete? Was he a big influence on you playing sports? Because I know you played college lacrosse. I
1: did. He was thrilled that I was in love with basketball. You know, knowing that I was five eleven and basically had no <laughs> natural athleticism. But you know, I never
0: played a lick of defense. No, my. my... I played with you. <laughs> you've never. I. You've never guarded anyone. No. It wasn't. Play why, would you, why,
1: why would you want to expend energy on the defensive end? No. That's why I played lacrosse. I
0: played attack. No, and I never even, had to guard anybody. I just got to score. Even offensively, when you played basketball, you never drove. You just oh, would pull up and sh- in there. You would pull up and shoot. <laughs> well,
1: but no, you know, my father was a big-time baseball guy, um, yeah. so I started playing baseball at a really young age, and actually. You know, if nobody ever threw a curveball, I'd probably be I, retired and living in Florida. I say right the now. same thing. You know, I had a big time arm, great hands. You know, I could make contact, hit the fastball for power, get to first base. I could run, and you know, then I went to one of these elite camps in eighth grade that I got invited to out in Jersey. Top two hundred high school players. I went as an eighth grader. I remember I doubled to right my first at bat. The opposite way, and everybody thought, oh, he took it the other way. No, no, I was way, way behind, late, behind. Way it. late. That's and, nice then, and then the next guy got up and threw me a curveball. I, I fell in the dirt, turned and yelled at the umpire, who was the coach at LMU, actually. Yeah. And he kind of smiled and said, son, that's a curveball. You're going to have to learn how to hit one of those <laughs> if you want to play this game. Never hit another one again. Never hit one.
0: Now, it's, the problem is you have to be willing to get hit in the head with the ball. Yeah, I play. didn't want to get hit in the head. I don't like getting hit in the head with baseball. I was the same. I won pitch, hit, and run. And then I finished second in New England for pitch, hit, and run. and uh, But uh, it's the whole uh, batting part where the curveball comes at your head that I just wasn't great with.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so unless you're throwing 98 with three yeah. different pitches, yeah, you, you kind of actually it. have to be able to hit. Yeah, some guys could throw that. Ball. So now my, my dad, you know, he was... You know, the, you know my father, again, you know, right from high school into the Navy, you know, five years in the Navy, then a New York City police officer. And my mother came from the Irish Catholic side where, I mean, they would literally live in a refrigerator box before they wouldn't pay tuition to go to the best
0: schools. I mean, they were all about education. And It is about kids back in that generation. I think it is to a degree now still, but because we, when we talk about it, it's like you can't even send the kids to public schools anymore. It's all got to be private schools. Well, you know, it's
1: interesting. I think that generation was more about what you can do for your children. And we're so obsessed with how much we can be with our children. You know, my yeah. father wasn't with me as much, but like there was nothing I wanted for. And I, and I go back and I think back how frustrating it must have been to watch me like be so apathetic about my academics when knowing he was working. And I didn't know he was working two jobs and I couldn't have made any sense out of it if it was. I mean, now you have kids and you're like, hey, uh, dad, can I get something in the gift shop? No, we don't have, I don't have any money we we'll go to the ATM. It's yeah. like, well, no.
0: <laughs> that's what Han- Hannah yesterday was like. Hey, she was watching an ad. She was, hey, buy that for me. No, <laughs> go buy it for yourself. She goes, she said it because we gave her a piggy bank. She goes, I'll use the money in my piggy bank. <laughs> yeah, the never-ending piggy bank. By the way, if,
1: if they spent every penny out of their piggy bank, they'd been out of it in a week. Like, I'm like, you know, where do you think the money goes <laughs> she has to like get like Twelve dollars
0: in her piggy bank and lose change. She has no yeah.
1: money. By the way. way, it's not like my kids are out there raking leaves to earn the money. Like, if I can get them to drag the garbage pail back on on garbage night, it's a win.
0: That's funny. Well, let's talk, let's talk about your kids, Connor and James, Jamie, yep. which I, I I always say was named after me. But let's we'll talk about
1: that. Yes, and by the way, he has your attitude, dude. So I'm not so sure this is the greatest move
0: by me ah, naming him after he you. He should come down. He should. Well, I'll get him into acting. He'll be fine. Oh no, that's what he wants to do. Does he really? Except he gets shy once in a while. I'm like, well, that's. Probably not the best skilled. Well, that's the drug. I'm shy, and that's the drug of choice because once you overcome that fear of performing, that's where the uh, it feels great. After it hurts when it's doing it, but yeah, it feels good. Um, how old are they now? How old are Connor and James?
1: So Connor will be eleven, you know, in a couple of weeks, and James is eight. Okay. and uh, you know they're they're still alive and breathing, so I'm 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 breaking even as a parent.
0: I loved the day Connor was born because. You were supposed to go to U two that night, (laughs) and I got the tickets. You had been talking about it. You had U two tickets, and you and Leslie uh, were having a a boy. And uh, you kept saying, "We're supposed to go to U two, and he's due, and we're not sure what's going to happen." I just was patiently waiting, (laughs) and then you called me that day. You're like, "She's in labor." They're yours. And I was like, yes! <laughs> and I went to you 2 at the— Yes, uh, my
1: wife, who has literally been late
0: for everything since, was three and a half weeks early and yeah. cost me a chance to see you 2 Well, you know, I missed my second one. She was four weeks early, and I was doing a gig, so I watched the birth on FaceTime and <laughs> the Omaha airport. That was great. And nothing the doctor says, held the says, baby up to FaceTime. Nothing says fatherhood than FaceTime, FaceTime.
1: and Omaha.
0: In Omaha. That's exactly right. Um, go back to when you, were fir- when you first, I mean, you, you must have been t- terrified. I was terrified because I was like, this is crazy. Why, I'm having kids. And you were 40 at the time. I was, I was 40. Were you, you were, on, were you working for the Clippers at the time? I was.
1: So I was in my second. You at least had a real job. I was actually, I had just transitioned. Um, so I had spent two years coaching, and mm-hmm. I had just moved into the front office. And I remember, um, you know, Leslie went in to labor at like 4 in the morning. And was like sending emails because she was still working. She had a much bigger job than I had at the time. And she was That's like, right. She, she, was, a, she was firing off
0: emails. She was a huge reality TV producer.
1: Yeah, and, and she was. She was Emmy nominated. Yeah. She was one of the, the biggest executive producers in the yeah. business for reality TV. And she's firing off emails. And I'm like, we have to go. She's like, yeah, I got to get these emails out. It's 4 in the morning. She called the hospital. They're like, yeah, uh, you need to get in here. So we went in. C-section, boom, done. And literally it was like two hours. And I walked out in a daze. And my wife decided, well, we don't have a an outfit to bring him home in. Now, forgetting I had four days before we had to bring him anywhere, I walked over to the Beverly Center from Cedar Sinai, and I remember sitting on a bench that I used to sit in because that was the place to go hide during auditions, right? Because you're like, I don't want to drive back to Santa Monica. We go to Beverly Center and watch a movie <laughs> up on the top floor, right? and then go to your next audition. And then go to your next you know, audition. You know, That's over funny. over at the, you know the casting company, and I remember sitting on one of the benches, going, Oh dear God, what have I done? Like, <laughs> were you? I mean, were you just overwhelmed of like, holy? here we go well you know it's like you know i went around and like the the, the, the only thing that was scarier was driving down la cienega like bringing the baby home going where did all the nurses go it's like this bubble like this cartoon bubble you're like this really isn't so bad i stop by i see him then i leave and wander around and there's five nurses taking care of my child and then you bring him home and you go "Uh oh this is really bad
0: because i don't know what i'm doing well i remember the first i mean it's just fear of like is that kid breathing like constantly wondering if they're breathing, and then you move them, and then they start screaming. And you're like, well, I won't do that again. If the kid's dead, the kid's dead. There's nothing I can do at this point. Well, I, I swear to God, this is the
1: only reason that like, son-in-laws don't kill mother-in-laws is because there is that bond where you go, okay, neither my wife nor I have any idea what we're doing right now. Right. You need to be here because clearly you're survived. So maybe you can help us with this. I remember my mother, my, James, your buddy who won't shut up ever yeah. and cried for six months, had colic. And he, the only time he would calm down is if you were bouncing him on one of those exercise balls. And we had, we, had, we had James in the summer, and it was like 100 degrees. We had no air conditioning in our little apartment in Playa del Rey. And my 65-year-old mother bouncing up and down in the boat with like pools of sweat falling off her, petrified to stop because he'd finally stopped crying. So, yes, the mother-in-law has that's
0: figured a, that's out.
2: That's a pretty specific uh, way of calming the baby. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to have no, gym. no. Keep bouncing. Keep we bouncing. have to have gym well, a lot equipment of people, here. Uh, my buddy Pat had a. He had to get up and put the baby in the car and drive around. The baby couldn't go to sleep unless he drove for an hour. He would just drive around the block hours until the kid fell asleep, and then he would desperately try to, you know, like it was like it was nitroglycerin <laughs> from the movie Sorcerer, and he was trying to get over the bridge to put the kid into bed to have the kid go to sleep because otherwise they, the kid couldn't sleep.
1: Well, you uh, know, we used to laugh, Leslie and I, because we lived in Playa del Rey, so we'd make that run along Pacific, right up by the airport yeah. and around. And you would, try, you would pray that you were near the house on the right way when he would finally fall, Connor would finally fall asleep. Yeah. And if you went past the house, you were like, oh, it's going to take me 15 minutes to get around, and I'm going to hit the lights. We're burning the 15 minutes of the hour and a half nap. And then the transition was always the most petrifying, right? How do I get him from the car in with all the drunks in Playa del Rey and beach traffic and horns going? And
0: Well, if it's nap time, sometime I have sat in the car for an extra hour. Oh, for sure. With well, just a car running, yeah, just that, leave the car that's running. That's the beauty yeah, of a smartphone. And you're like, oh. <laughs> what's the difference between sitting there and sitting in your living room? Nothing, except the kids asleep. It's so funny now. It's like napped because I'm still way behind you, three and like 18 months. And so when the kids are na- on the weekends, the kids nap, and then Kate's like doing stuff, and I'm like, I I'm going to nap. <laughs> This this is it. You sleep when they sleep. You have two this is hours. A this is it, man. It's a ceasefire. So she she get, diddles around for stuff and then comes in for like twenty minutes and then the kids wake up. and She's like, oh, I didn't get a good nap. That's on you. <laughs> I told you to lay down when the kids went down. What is wrong with you? Yeah, it's survival, dude. It's it's timing. Everything's timing. Um, with the kids, uh, your kids are great, but they do they. I've seen the two of them. They're boys. They're lunatics. They are. I mean, how many trips to the emergency room was there ever uh, time where you were terrified of some of the other people who have well, yeah, done the show? Like, well, I tell you what, I was terrified. Stories. It was my
1: wife like knocked my son unconscious playing some game in the living room of our place in Manhattan Beach where we had like a concrete slab under the carpet and we're messing around. And I go, dude, not a good game, not a good game. She was putting them on her feet like and popping them up in the air like a rocket ship, mm-hmm. and they they must have done it a thousand times, right? Mm-hmm. But the one time I go, come on, everybody get their bathing suits on. We're going to the beach. Let's go. All of a sudden, he went off the wrong way. Neck, shoulder, unconscious, laying on the ground. <laughs> can't get him to wake up. Unconscious. Run to the urgent care. You have to
0: go to urgent care. Uh,
1: that, that's 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 neuro. We can't do that. Then off to the emergency room. At Was he the hospital. awake by then? No. Oh yeah, he's awake, but like eyes drowsy. The whole deal. We, then we run to the. We have a doctor across from us. He's not home. Run to the emergency room. Get him in. They get him in right away. They're phenomenal. We're dealing with CAT scans and the whole deal. And, like, you know, they give him a $70 shot of Tylenol, right, you know, for the headache. He throws that up. And well, you get a concussion. A severe concussion yeah. for a week. You know, they're like, hey, he might – no. Nope. So then you know the beauty of this one. He's four. Hey, by the way, uh, no electronics, no television, no computers for a week. Yeah, good luck with that. I'm like, really, then why don't you just keep him here because – I have no idea how to parent without (laughs) electronics. Can you just put
0: him in an induced coma for the week?
1: (laughs) Because I don't think there's not a way he's going to make it. I I don't know what else to do with him. This is how I raise my child. I hand him an iPad. So,
0: have you uh, guys done a lot of emergency care?
1: Yeah, you know we've been pretty lucky. I mean, you know my younger one, James, is a maniac. We've never been. And James has been. James get like what we like to do on vacation is make sure we visit whatever the local emergency room is just to kind of do a little scouting report. We went. um, uh, What was it? Beth Israel in New York. You know, James decided that the slide meant. Well, it's faster if you just jump, and there goes the collarbone. So 12 hours in the emergency room for them to go, yeah, he broke his collarbone. We can't cast it, but I'm glad you had 12 hours in the emergency room. But keep
0: him off of
2: a— New York emergency rooms are the absolute worst. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's the the epicenter Uh, of relaxation.
2: I broke my arm in in Manhattan once and spent 12 hours waiting, (laughs) saw two gunshot victims die in front of me. It was insane. Yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and, and then you're worried why they're not like, and like, I'm like, you know, 12 hours ago, you could have said, how did he fall and touched his collarbone? And when he shrieked with pain, you could have said, he's got a broken collarbone. Um, it'll heal on its own. Give it about eight weeks. Just don't touch him there.
2: The, the other thing you forget, because you can't prioritize, is that a broken bone in a New York hospital is so far down the priority <laughs> list. It's yeah. ridiculous.
0: Yeah, that's, that's days of waiting.
2: Yeah, no. and so he broke his collarbone. What bone. I should have
1: said was he got shot during a drug deal. And, you know, we just think we think the bullet went in and through. Like, and then they would have brought him in. You should have just shot him. You know,
2: you know, cops <laughs> in New York. You should have brought a couple. That's
0: right. You can't. You can't drop your dad's name as a cop in New York. It's only been thirty years since he'd been on the force. That's right. That's right. No. That's- yeah. Isn't it funny though when it's like mothers, like our mother-in-law always helps, and the father is never. He's just off. The father-in-law is never help. He's like off. Usually, just, he's
1: still worn out from being a father.
0: He's usually warning. Like my father was always like, "Don't you're gonna hurt yourself." Like it was warning, so he could always say, "I told you so." Like, I always felt like my father was like, you know, don't get in a car accident tonight. That's not really up to me, Dad. <laughs> if that does happen. Well, it's, it's sort of up to you if you've been I mean, drinking. It's, it's kind of up to me, but he was basically setting himself up so that when I did do it, he could go, I told you not to do that. <laughs> I told you. Well, you can't just encompass the whole world and go, don't do that. But that's what fathers do. That's what, I, what fathers see? do. What did I tell you? You don't want to listen to me. So, because
1: you're hoping at some point they might actually listen to you. Well, you kind of, I mean, a broken collarbone and a. Uh,
2: yeah, and stitches and concussions. I mean, it's stitches.
1: Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, James. You know, right off the uh, jumped and like the chin hit the the bar at the you know the, the breakfast bar and, but you yeah, know he he likes to kind of regale people with stories of all of his injuries. So you know, so now now he's one of those guys. Like he plays this, like Connor could literally get shot out of a cannon and go, yeah, I'm okay. Like I mean, like he got crushed the other day um, playing football. I'm fine. James. No, no, no. It's the story. Well, do you remember when this happened? Remember when I broke my collarbone? Is he a storyteller? Oh my god, dude! He's he, the
0: youngest. The baby he, is usually the one.
1: He would be doing the late set at Largo, like where, where it's not really comedy. It would just be him, like just
0: talking. So that's funny, man. That's yeah. really funny. Um, did your was your dad around? He passed, but did he pass when the kids were born? Or no, was, I never saw them. He, he never uh, my parent. My dad never saw my kids. No,
1: it, it, you know it's sad. He so Connor was born in October, and my father died the October before. So he missed him by by about a year.
0: I wasn't even close. My dad was years. And I never met any of my grandparents. They were all gone before I came along. It is kind of weird because I think that is one of the bad things about having kids so late in life is that they don't have that that family connection a little bit. It's a little sad. Like my mother and she's 92. It's really hard for her to see the kids, but luckily we FaceTime her a lot to have her see them, but it is it's so funny too cuz she's so old. She doesn't know how to hold the phone for FaceTime. <laughs> so it's like a cl- my the only way my kids are going to know my mother is this close-up creepy eye shot of a <laughs> 92-year-old woman like the corner of her head. That's all she, I go, "Mom, pull the camera away from your face." She can't. It's just not happening. <laughs> That's the only way she knows her. Uh, but your mom got to spend some time with them. She does. So she comes out, you know, she comes out
1: and visits and we were just back there this summer and, um, no, she's great. I mean, look, for, I'm thrilled because my father would be like, yeah, they're, they're cute Neil. You know, that's great. Um, that's it. Right. Want to, can you help make me in Manhattan? So, you know, oh, that uh, sounds delicious. Actually. Yeah. I, you know, you know, it's funny. My dad was great with my, my sister's kids. You know, he was, you know, he was 60, you yeah. know, so he was young and, you know, he would take them to go see the trains and whatever. But like, I think the, thing, the difference with like the mother-in-laws are there. For the things you don't want to deal with, right? Okay, help them put them to bed. Give them a tub. Like, they're crying. The fathers are there when it's like, yeah, I'll throw a ball with them for five minutes. Or, hey, come sit on my lap and watch a football game. Not the – because they already did that with us and weren't thrilled. So,
0: Yeah, my father, I mean, he, he worked really hard. It was funny because the guys who work long hours, I think the, th- the thing you said that was so hitting home was that in that generation, it was about making sure your kids were doing okay. Now it's more about spending time with your kids. And it is crazy. You know, I, as an actor, I have all this free time. So I spend a ton of time with those kids and I love it. It's pretty great. And it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine that my father had six kids and really worked like 60, 70 hours a week. Yeah, see, look, being with the kids is great.
1: That's the easy part. Having your wife tell you how to be with the kids, ah! that one's a
0: little tougher <laughs> so now. So <laughs> I go, it's almost like I was going to do it anyway, but now that you told me to do it, I'm going to do the complete opposite. For some reason, why can't I just go, yeah. All right, that's fine. I think it's her tone. Sometimes if she said it in a nicer tone of like, <laughs> hey, you know what would be great is while we're at the store, if you, got a, if you get a chance, maybe you could clean up the kitchen. <laughs> As opposed to, I'm going to the store, you clean the kitchen. That's not happening. <laughs> I am not cleaning that fucking kitchen. It's not happening.
1: Well, Or, no, or it's the, um, hey, you have the boys for dinner. Great. We're going to Buffalo Wild Wings. Well, what do you mean? Like, aren't you going to make dinner here? No, I'm not going to make dinner here. That's why there's Buffalo Wild Wings. Yes, guys, what do you want to do? Oh, well, great. You asked them. What do you think their answer is going to be? Their answer is going to be my answer. Buffalo Wild Wings. We're going to be. We're going to be fine. Yeah. By the way, we're, we're going to be fine. We're going to do what we do, dude. By the way, my parenting is we're going to go to a movie. We're going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We're going to go to our Rolling. respective televisions. Connor's going to go watch The Simpsons. James is going to play on the iPad. And I'm going to watch television in the living room.
0: We're just at the point now where the kids are like, we have enough TVs to send them in other rooms. But, you know, you're trying to watch them. In the, and H- Hannah will always be, my show. Put my <laughs> show on. And I, I'm watching, like, the baseball game or something. And she's like, my show. <laughs> and you just reach a point where you're like. Whatever. Fuck it. Here's your, here's your show. <laughs> like just watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I don't care anymore. But Ooh. I do. Don't you see? Here's why. Like, my father never watched TV. And I've learned now. I go, why don't you watch TV? But now that I have kids, it's because he couldn't pause it. Can right. you imagine trying to watch TV where you couldn't pause it and kids were around? You'd be watching a movie and you'd be like, this is. Shut up. <laughs> just shut up. You can't back it up. This is it. It's well, just we, airing. We solved
1: the whole problem because it was go outside and play. But it's pitch black and it's midnight. It, 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 there's fine. a kid. There's somebody out there's there. Somebody Go play Ring of Alivio. Get, get Get out of the house. Or I'll find something for you to do. Yeah. See, this is the difference. Well, again, there's another difference with our generation. My father's line was, if you can't do something, I will find something for you to do. Ours is, our kids are like, hey, what are we going to do? And now you're Julie the Cruise director. And it always seems to revolve around amusement parks and fun things. And it's never raking leaves or mowing lawns. Or, and by the way, God forbid you mowed the lawn with the lines going in the wrong way. The lines had to be done horizontally across the lawn, not vertically. Did we ever talk about that? Because I used to do a
0: joke about my father. That's He Hit the cough button. Uh, I used to do a joke about my father remowed the lawn. One time after I mowed, because the tire tracks weren't as straight as he wanted them to be. And he took the—I th- was like, you're OCD, man.
1: Well, well, see, I didn't even get that because our porch was glassed-in porch, yeah. right, sitting there. And by the way, we, we drove by my old house when I was in New York this summer, and I remember it being like a football field. It's literally like 12 by 12. Right. like, And I would think, oh, my God, I have to mow the lawn. And all I would get was the knock on the window, knock on the window, and then the shake of the hand, and then the finger going, "No." Nope. Yeah. This way, because it was easier to go up and down the hill than across, because you're going sideways, right, with the mower. Yep. Then the best was when he would make me do it with the old push mower with the blades. Without only the po- he, no only he, only he got to use the one without was, power, because was I might break it. So we, we
0: had a full acre back in the day, and my father would make me mow the whole thing. And now I live in L.A. and I have, I don't know, rocks, fifteen square plant. feet of of grass, and we have a gardener. <laughs> He comes and trims the shrubs. And at first when we bought the house, I was like, I'm not paying money for a gardener. I'll do the gardening. And then like after three weeks, I was like, I can't. It's just, <laughs> I can't trim this thing. I don't even own a lawnmower. And so we have a gardener. <laughs>
1: well, that's why, like, garden. like I don't. hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this because I actually know how to do things. I, I do work too, construction, but I don't want to. I work construction. I work landscape and all this stuff. And she's like, and I just play dumb like. I, I don't know. How to, what's a screwdriver? I don't know. Look, how would I possibly know how to screw in a light I, I don't know how to do that. Let's see. Isn't there somebody you can call for this? Because
0: how would I know how to mow a lawn? Dude, I put a doorbell in two days ago, and uh, I went, bought it. It's a wireless doorbell. I put it on the front. I put the chime together. I put it all up. It's great. It works. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. I sit down. I feel great. It's the best i felt since I put the new toilet in. I felt really good, and uh, and all of a sudden, bing bong. Who's banging our doorbell? (laughs) Nobody's at the door. All of a sudden, 11 o'clock at night, bing bong, doorbell goes off. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Finally, at 2 o'clock in the morning, the doorbell goes off. For some reason, the way I constructed it, there's a short and there's a phantom doorbell going off. I get up, I rip. The whole thing apart, <laughs> pull the batteries out, tie it up in a top. Well, you, how, you and my wife can do hiring home improvement. a guy to put a doorbell, and I stu- I went and did a doorbell and nothing ever worked. Yeah, well, you and my wife can do home improvement projects together
1: because she got so frustrated that you could only use the remote to open up the garage that she put in like the, the pad so you can punch the code yeah, in. Right, got that? Yeah. Except somewhere, someone in our neighborhood is on the same, the same frequency. frequency. So we come home from vacation and go,
0: oh, that's nice. <laughs> no! Garage, garage doors been open for Why a week. open for a week? <laughs> we, when I first bought the house, I actually left it open for like three days one time when I, we were like just moving you See, in. Life, was,
1: life was better in a basement apartment in Santa Monica. You had one door. <laughs> the door was either open or closed, dude. It, was, it wasn't Nobody. hard to figure out.
0: Well, you know, my place in that apartment building was across from the laundry room. So if I didn't lock my door one night at like two in the morning, some dude walked into my apartment thinking it was the laundry room. (laughs) And I had my girlfriend was staying over the time. I was like, get the fuck out of my apartment, (laughs) screaming at this guy. And he was like, oh, sorry, I thought you were the laundry room. I like, I'm not the laundry room. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy the (laughs) stuff we go through. And now it's funny, too, because I just had to go. Our square footage is off. I had to go to the building safety office of Los Angeles and. Like, when we lived in a rent-controlled apartment, it was so easy. Yeah, you wrote a check. And I called Steve. I go, hey, this isn't working. Get <laughs> I'd over like to have here. it fixed. And get it fixed. And now it's like I bought a full-time job where it's like I don't want – I just want to go back to – it was so simple.
1: What's really important, though, is, is to make sure you not only have the kids that treat the house like a playground, but then you got to go get a dog. Cause it's important to have a dog too, a dog. especially in a place where it rains every day. Because yeah, setting the dog out in the mud in the yard Great. to go to his business to yeah. then come into the house and jump on the white couch, perfect. Well, it's her house too. Does the dog have full run of the house? Oh my, so somehow I went away for one road trip and the dog has now navigated to sleeping on the couch in our bedroom. Which is so I'm like, so I thought we were going to crate the dog. Well, that was only for a little while, really. Because the the crate was permanent, so I'm not really sure. So now, basically, I finish, like, fourth behind any visitor, my two children, and the dog. So they wonder why I sit here, and Terry Stotts asked me last night. We landed in L.A., you know, before the game, and we get in, and he goes, any plans? And I go, no. He goes, really? And I go, well, if— by plan you mean I'm gonna get four chocolate chip cookies from the concierge lounge, lay in my bed and watch Seinfeld reruns, and yes, I have plans. <laughs>
0: You're living the same life as when I knew you. Yes, I'm recreating you have Santa two Monica kids, right here. A job and a family and a house. <laughs> it's basically the exact same life, except occasionally you, you Yes, instead you. of
1: you banging on my door to drag me outside it's, once in a while, it, it, my wife goes, <laughs> Well, we have plans and I'm like,
0: Well, you have plans. What do you guys fight about most now? I mean, you, you have you know, a great job. You have a, you know, you know you're I, I think financially is, well off. So what do you guys is, argue is about? It's my
1: wife's casual relationship with punctuality. Because like you, Navy father, Navy father, police father. Dude, starts at 9, you're there at 9. I told you it started at 9. So I'm going to lose, like if we're not walking out the door at 845, the whole thing's ruined for me. You do you, and
0: you know how long it takes you to get. That's the great thing about Kate, honestly, my wife. I think that was a big draw in. She, if I go, hey, let's go. She could get like two seconds. She was ready to walk out the door.
1: Yeah, and look, and my wife can too. She just doesn't care. Like, like she'll get she'll get there when she chose to yeah. get there. But I'm I'm the I want to get there early and then leave early. So what we, we've taken to doing now, because where we live in Lake Oswego is very social, a lot of family, a lot of parties,
0: country club, right? Yeah, the whole. Mm. We
1: just drive separately. Do you really? Yeah. So I go no, no no I'll take my own car and I'll bring the kids over early so they can be there with the friends. Then she'll decide. But oh, you're you
0: know doing what? that so you have an exit strategy.
1: Yeah, I'm all about the exit strategy, dude. I'm you always the, I, have that. You were the strategy. king
0: of Casper the Ghost. Like I would finally get you to go out on a certain night and we'd be at a bar and we'd be hanging. And then I would turn around and one of the guys would go, Oh, where'd Neil go? Is Neil in the bathroom or Neil getting a beer I go, No, Neil's gone. You won't see Neil no <laughs> Neil more. Neil stopped, got a pint of bed and happened? Jerry's at 7-Eleven. It ah, was and... a problem. We couldn't work it out. He's gone. What do you mean he's gone? He's gone. That's it. He's, he's, gone. Gone. he's gone. He's And gone. there's not nothing coming. we can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. But it's the same thing now. You know, we yeah. go and
1: I go, okay, here's the deal. I I have a window for how long I'm willing to be social and be it's, in this environment. I know you and your window's very limited. It's narrow. So Connor, who's my older boy, like he's ready for bed at nine thirty. So I'm like, you know, less Connor Connor's really tired. He's got a to game tomorrow. I'm gonna to get him home to bed. James, like you, is a night owl. He's wandering around the house at one in the morning patrolling the grounds, like thinking he can maybe get a hold of an <laughs> iPad and watch another episode of like Teen Titans Go that nobody'll hear about. You,
0: you- go wound up man <laughs> where the like we're, I'm starting to get to the point with my wife like lately we go I go look I'm I'm not going to argue with you she told because I was getting, I was getting. I think it was my last birthday. Do you, I get wound up around my birthday where I'm like, I just for some reason I'm we're old. I don't want them anymore. <laughs> and so I was kind of being I was getting snapping at people driving around in my way. It's like you, you know, used to be really the cool guy who just let stuff kind of glide over you, and you're not like that anymore. <laughs> and you're like, I'm like, I'm not. I'm really starting to get wound up at shit. And I go, you know what? That's it. I'm done. Not arguing anymore. So now she'll pick arguments with me, and I go, I'm not arguing with you. <laughs> I'm not going to argue. And, oh, and she'll have an argument. We'll still have an argument for two hours. I'm just not involved. Where she <laughs> will say horrible things to me. Where I'm like, wow, you can't say that to your husband. Those are, you can't. And she's just she's a crazy redhead. That's what they're like. They say crazy <laughs> things. But I'm done. I'm done arguing anymore with, any, with her any, about anything anymore. I'm just like, look, we're having a conversation. And she'll say something like, well, we're, she'll go, you have to stop fighting. I go, I'm not fighting. I am not fighting. My You're voice fighting. Is, I'm getting beaten up. Are you the loud one or is, I know Leslie she's great but I mean it's it's married couples is she like
1: well, it's also I think the difference like, she's with, running the with house Kate versus you know versus Leslie. I mean you know Leslie's just turned 52 so that was that was a joy ride as well <laughs> <laughs> you know the Nothing lead, better than that the events leading up to and you know and after you know I'm, I'm, let's just put it this way I'm very glad that the 50th birthday has passed because now we can stop saying she can stop saying I'm in my 40s when she's 49 and a half. <laughs> And I can stop worrying about what do I get for her, what do I return because she's right. mad that I bought it, what did I do wrong? Right. And we can just go back to living our lives of two people that are 50 trying to survive two children <laughs> with, 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 it, with one person who can't get out of bed in the morning and then stays up till 3 in the morning and me who could go to bed at 10 and wake up at 8 every day and be perfectly content. So- Kate will do the
0: same. Kate can't get up in the morning and then at night she's like, I'm so tired. I'm like, go. Go to bed. It's ten. There is a bed. You should have gone to bed two hours ago. What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I got stuff to do. You're not. You're looking at shoes on fucking, Amazon Prime. On Amazon Prime.
1: What are you doing? Yeah. By the way, and by the way, you know, you know how much more sleep everybody got without Facebook? I like, know, dude. you know, here's the deal. If I was really interested in that many people's lives, I would pick up the phone and I would call them. I literally know three people. It's who I stay in touch with. You don't not need on to Facebook. find. No, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on any social media. Are your kids on Facebook? No, they don't. Have, but they. They'll pop on my wife's. Page Are they on once Instagram or Twitter? It's no.
0: coming. They're gonna. How old? Does, he's eleven.
1: So junior high. Does when he have a phone? To Junior high is the phone. Oh, junior, okay. Junior high is the phone. His kids,
0: not, his friends, all probably have phones already.
1: A lot of them do. Yeah. Yeah. They, or or they got the older brother or whatever. See, it's fine. They don't need a phone because they just take my wife's phone because our entire life revolves around the only place we can get him to go anywhere is if there is a pokey Stop. So hey, we want to go out to dinner. Well, there's a Poké Stop, James. You can pick up some Pokeballs, Balls, and now we can play Pokemon. And it's all Pokemon Go.
0: Right. You, I loved your line earlier. If you, I'll find something. For, what was the line? Yeah. I'll find something for if, you to if do. If you
1: don't want to go do something, I'll find something for you to do. And like the problem is, it, it's a veiled threat because what? Like my thing is, I'll make you go downstairs and play on the Wii. I'll I- make you go play <laughs> Xbox. Like it's not like, hey, by the way, we're gonna like dig we're out the, out the garage. Yeah, we're gonna clean out the garage. And by the way, I, you know, I just decided the garage needs painting.
0: Do the kids do anything around the house? Like chores.
1: And by chores, you mean watch the iPad and have someone take their yeah, plates away? but you
0: have a gardener, you have everybody, so they yeah. it's not like he's out mowing the lawn. No, dude, no, no.
1: And, and so the trade-off is there'd be more time for them to actually like open a book, which we, you know, we really did because I think if, I think my father's choice was someone else mowing the lawn or reading a book. I think you know, I feel like books don't
0: there. exist anymore. There are no I books. think, Eric. <laughs> and
1: the, the funny thing is, I, I am such a, I'm so old because you do start echoing your parents. I go, go upstairs and read. And he looked at me like I was insane. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why would I read? Why would I read voluntarily? Read. I don't <laughs> we have a television in every house. We have seven iPads. My, your mom has a mom has a phone.
0: I never read. I, in my thirties, I said I'm going to read the classics, and I read a few. And then I got halfway through Moby Dick. And I was like, wow, that book's long. And you and decided never, Ron Howard made a movie about it you could just watch it. that? And yeah, I watched that because I, I, I got halfway through that. I read a bunch of them back in my 30s. Though. I think we, you did too. You were an English guy. I was an English major. You read I a lot. like to read, so I'm fine. You're a doofus.
1: So it's another dissociative behavior,
0: right? I, yeah. If I'm reading, nobody has to talk to me. All right. Let's, uh, I, I wrap this thing up with a couple of questions. All right. They won't be too painful for you. And then, uh, then I'll let you go and we'll go enjoy the Rich Carlton for the day. Um, what is one thing you hope your kids never find out about you? <laughs> just, just pick one, by this the way. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel like you might you might pay someone to hide this. Actually, this podcast nothing nothing bad's been said. God, seen. probably
1: growing up in an Irish Catholic neighborhood that I started drinking in seventh grade. You did? I did.
0: I wasn't seventh. Seven Jesus. Eighth grade. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh no, I was sophomore year. Oh God. And yeah, I used to I, I was almost bored with drinking by sophomore I year. wish I had started earlier. I used we to were, pick we on we guys. We were sneaking
1: quarts of Budweiser in a bound park like the summer before eighth grade. That's so funny.
0: <laughs> we got to the point where we, uh, for a dance, I would open a Coke, drink half of it, sneak into my parents' liquor cabinet, take the Crown... Uh, actually, Seagram 7, yep. fill the Coke, and then my mother would drive me to the dance, and I'd be holding the can. Because nobody of- could
1: smell the crown Royal, <laughs> right? Like, I, I was mean, like, genius. You didn't even of use me vodka. Was like, How
0: does she not smell this? Right, not vodka sprite or something. No. Seagram 7 and Coke. And yeah. then we'd, we'd go down to L&R Market, and the guy would go, You got an ID? No. He'd go, Hurry up, give me the money. Because he, <laughs> they were trying to keep the store afloat. And so we would buy, like, Narragansett's, and we'd do the puzzles. But yeah, we were, like, sophomores in high school and stuff. So you, you don't want him to find out that you drank early. No,
1: being that my son is in fifth grade, I'd rather he didn't know I started drinking when I was in seventh. Basically, at his age, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that is early. That is early.
0: What is uh, one trait you hope your kids get from you and one from your wife? I, I think it's the same with, well, mine would be work ethic. Because I did, and I learned it from my father, you I have mean, a good work, yeah. I, and I work you, yeah, know, you and, did. and you know. you make it seem like you're not working, like I think that's almost your one of your best skills, and I, I, it's something I try to emulate, and I think a lot of people strive for to do a lot of work, but don't be that nudge that's like I'm working my ass off it's like you're prepared, you're do your work well we have buddies that, you know we always start like by yeah. our, our buddy Mike Mahan.
1: Was the busiest unemployed guy in America? Yeah. Like he was all he was always going to something. None of it generated any income. None item. of it. And he was a brilliant actor. But yeah. But that's the hard. That's the, the beauty of being an actor is you go. Well, I'm working really hard. Are you working? No, I'm not working. And I'm not working.
0: But I'm working really hard. I'm waiting for the work. phone to ring for my agent to tell me it, that I have an audition. But for. I sent out
1: pictures on what was the old thing that the uh, <laughs> what they used to get. Um, everybody used to try and like get them by fax. The uh the breakdowns. The breakdowns. breakdowns. You the breakdowns. Well, and I you see what. I job sent it. out a bunch of postcards today. Yeah. Really killing it.
0: Yeah. I remember when uh, Backstage West came out. Every Thursday, when I first got to Hollywood, I would go and get Manila envelopes and headshots, and and then I would send out to the cattle call auditions or whatever, and send them in. And I felt like after that on Thursday mornings, I'd be like, boy, I did a lot of stuff today.
1: <laughs> I better go to a movie better, and yeah. uh, go have a beer.
0: That's good. Yeah, I think the work I think you're. I think Leslie's the same kind of. No, work Leslie. Ethic.
1: She. I mean, she, she was a. Work she athlete. works and w- maybe harder than her, you do. Be, At least she had the combination of work ethic and creativity. Mine was just work ethic.
0: Yeah. Well, it paid off. We're sitting in the Ritz Carlton. It's pretty. Good. It's pretty good. All right, one last question, and we'll let you go. Uh, one word of wisdom, like a mantra that you would leave with your children. I love some of the, other, the the sayings you've already said. I'll give you if if you don't find something to do, I'll give you something to do. And you had one earlier too. We'll have to go back and look at it. But all of these little sayings, I think you got them from your father. What's a good mantra that you would say to your kids to to get them through life? If you're not if you're not passionate about
1: it, don't do it. That's because crazy. you're not going to be successful at it. You're not. I mean, look, look, you know, you're, you and I are sitting here and we're, we're joking about, you know, you're out of work or whatever. You're not. I mean, you're, you're you're doing exactly what you wanted to do, what you love to do. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I mean, look, dude, look at the people that came through O'Brien's, you know, know. a booked room in O'Brien's. Dude. And, I, and I was telling Terry we're on the flight out and I yeah. said, oh, I'm doing my buddy's podcast and. Zach Galifianakis and Joel McHale and Chelsea Handler, and,
0: Brani, know, the list goes on. I, I mean, everybody came through there. Everybody, everybody did. Stand and it was a room I started. You, and, you came through there. You did stand up.
1: Yeah, there. yeah, and, yeah. But and but everybody had a great time. And at that point, nobody thought Chelsea was going to be a best-selling, you know, novelist. And Joel was going to be on. You can't turn on the television without seeing him. And Zach was going to be a movie star. They were just, it was their craft and they loved it. And it was Thursday yeah. night and they dr- fought the traffic and the yeah. parking to go to Santa Monica. So, you know, and I think that's the one thing, you know, you know, I've loved basketball even when I realized I was a better baseball, tennis, lacrosse. I mean, I was better at everything than I was at basketball, but I love basketball more than any of it. Yeah. And, you know, I was lucky enough where, like I said, my avocation became my vocation. And um, but you're not going to be successful if you're not passionate about it. And I think that's what happened, you know, with guys as an actor. I mean, there's a great um, line in the beginning of Michael Shurtleff's book. And he writes, if there's anything else you can do and be reasonably happy, do it. Yeah. Don't do this. <laughs> and you can stop reading right there, <laughs> That's right? It. Like, That's it. And, and I think I got to the point, you know, like in my 30s where I was like looking at some of my buddies that were older than us. And I went, they're more talented than me. They're better looking than me. They have a better resume than me. And they're in the same rent control apartment I'm in. And I go, I don't want the 45, 50-year-old oops. They can't like, get you wake ra- up and yeah. you go, oh, I'm yeah. still doing temp work and yeah. you know, hoping to find a scale commercial to like pay the electric bill. I know those guys.
0: And the business has changed so much that even people like Peter Coyote just wrote that letter saying, hey, maybe the jillionaire, it's like one guy makes billions and then everyone else is scale. All yeah. those quotes they earned over the years are gone. So the business is kind of changing to becoming like a YouTube star haven and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, passion will definitely get you through life. Uh, big thanks to my friend, Neil Olshay, my producer, Andy Lerner, for coming and helping me uh, do a nice show from the Ritz-Carlton today. And thanks for drinking drink a $17 me. coffee <laughs> on my check. <laughs> By the way, I put a coffee on his tab in the, in the lobby, <laughs> just so everybody knows that he's going to bitch me out. Uh, Neil, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch all of you on the next uh, episode of Father Time.